the other thing, be, uh, teachers need to just stand up and say, as a school, when we get a punch in the mouth uh, from the media, we're just going to stand firm. We're not going to go rushing around like headless chickens telling our principal or our board, we've got to change our ideas. Just say, no, there are 3,000 students in this network and this is what we believe and we've always believed it. And the great irony is that for many of our gender diverse children, this is the safest school they could be in because we don't tolerate bullying of people with different ideas, which is why we're standing firm on this, because we won't be bullied into different ideas. Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews, and today I'm joined by Stephen McAlpine. He's a writer, a blogger, a podcaster, and I think one of Australia's sharpest minds when it comes to the intersection of theology and culture. Now, Steve is a returning guest, and he was actually gracious enough to take the time out of his schedule to talk with me about the Australian Law Reform Commission's report into religious education institutions and anti-discrimination laws. But before we get into that, I'll get Steve to share about how you can find more material from him. If you need to find who I am, you can go to stephenmcalpine.com. That's Stephen with a PH. I've written a book called Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World That Says You Shouldn't, and occasional podcasting at DeLorean Philosophy, which is part of John Dixon's Undeceptions stable. So you can find me there and uh, various podcasts such as this good worthy one. Now, Steve was spending the day writing his new book when we had our chat. It's a follow-up to Being the Bad Guys, his first book, a bestseller. Uh, so I can only assume it's going to be called Being Even Worse Guys, but don't quote me on that. As always, know that before we hit record, we prayed for you, that no matter what role you have to play in education, that whatever walk of life you come from, whether you're a teacher, a student, a family or community member, you would have the courage and strength to promote Christian education when it's under fire. God calls every generation to be faithful with the unique challenges that they face. So it can be very tempting to pine for another age where we think things may have been simpler, but that's a moot point, isn't it? God put us here and he will give us strength and courage to face all the trials that we face here. Enjoy the conversation. Well, Stephen McAlpine, welcome back to the Christian Education Podcast. Good to be with you, Paul. It's quite an interesting journey, the Christian education space. Oh, we're going to the moon here at this podcast, you know, and what a time too. There's lots of shuffling of the decks in the Christian education space. And of course, we're glad for people like you, Steve, who are doing a lot of thinking in this space as well recently. Um, let's cut straight to the chase here. So, this week, you've written a piece called The Australian Law Reform Commission Has Christian Schools in Its Sights. For those of you who don't know, the Australian Law Reform Commission is an independent Australian government agency that provides recommendations to the government about how to change the laws to best fit with the current state of Australian society. In this case, they're examining faith-based schools and they look set to remove the prerogative of faith-based schools to employ only people of that faith as staff of that school. Uh, anyway, more on that will become clear in due course. I, I just thought I'd help those of you out who aren't necessarily into the ins and outs of the Australian legal and political system. So effectively what's happened is the Law Reform Commission has put out a report. Um, it looks like for Christian schools things are worse than we'd hoped. So we rest on a number of legal legislative pillars 
to be able to operate as authentically faith-based schools. Uh, It's not like, as best I can tell, a sledgehammer has been taken to those pillars, but it looks like perhaps the termites have set in. Things might not be as solid as we sort of hoped down there. Could you tell us what kind of threat to Christian schools and sort of religious schools do the recommendations from the Australian Law Reform Commission actually represent? Well, that's a good metaphor, the termites one. Uh, I often uh, think the metaphor I use is the naughty dog that's not allowed on the carpet, but it, it simper, simpers forward, creeping sort of paw by paw until suddenly it is on the carpet. And I think that's the key issue as I look at how the, uh, the Law Reform Commission and other things have pushed back against Christian schools. The primary issue, I think, is that um, hard secularism in Australia is following the lead from other places, jurisdictions around the world. It does not want to see alternate ethical communities. And that's what I call a Christian school. It's an alternate ethical community with a framework of a vision of what human flourishing looks like, which is very different to the what I think is quite a hard progressive agenda in Western democracies at the moment. And I think that's critical. It's not about the curriculum education per se. It's about the spirit that infuses that whole school and school system and and ideology of Christian schools. And I think that's where the Australian Law Reform Commission is pitching at and it's chipping away at things and just making it difficult for Christian schools to move forward. And I think it's uh, it's quite open now that uh, Christian schooling is seen as problematic to a vision of human flourishing that the government and other progressive institutions want to see move forward. What do you think it is about Christian education and the Christian religion that's really getting up the nose of these quote-unquote hard secularists? Well, part of the secular agenda is that there's public truth and fact and there's private opinion. And perhaps Christians have bought into that a little bit when there's been freedom of religion in our nation, that somehow what we believe uh, Christianly is actually just private opinion. And there's a whole range of viewpoints around Australia about what is you know, religion and what's true religion and what's true for you. And so, But to bring that into the public square is a challenge to secularism because secularism's framework is uh, we determine the bedrock reality. This is what is. And Christianity is saying, actually, even your story, your bedrock reality, that's actually a story. And it's on par with our story. But I think key at the moment, as you can tell, is all the stuff around sexuality and gender. And Christians are often accused of being too focused on it. But it's exactly the place that secular frames are pushing Christian education. Because we believe as human beings you can't separate a human being out into their ideas and their actions. Um, that you can't believe something religiously without it infusing every aspect of your actions. And secularism won't play that, it won't play that card. It, it will not believe that. It, it says, no, you can believe that privately, but publicly you have to do this. And that's that's very different view of looking at the world. It's not just about you need to change your curriculum to reflect modern sensibilities and sexuality it's saying we don't agree with your vision of human life and how you have that as an integrated whole for all of your lives and it's funny that every school is promoting some sort of idea of human flourishing isn't it every school has a worldview i wrote a piece relatively recently for the gospel coalition and that was the thrust of it every school is a religious school Now, every school might not have a chapel, there might not be religious services per se, but when it comes to the big questions, um, 
who are we? How did we get here? What's gone wrong with the world? Why is there all this obvious suffering? And, and how do we fix it? Every school will actually be answering those questions, whether it's in expressed or an implied way. And Australia has traditionally been a country where we can actually have institutions with many different answers to those questions. And that's been good. That's what we might call pluralism. We've been quite proud of our pluralist society where we can have a marketplace of ideas. But what you seem to say, Steve, is um, we've moved from a place where we can have a marketplace of ideas. And in some, it's like COVID, the market's closed. There is no longer a marketplace of ideas. There's basically now a big monoculture that's being enforced upon several different institutions so that regardless really of your faith position, um, you're actually having to walk a certain religious party line here. And you're saying, what you're saying is, Christian schools are going to start to feel the flames on the toes sooner rather than later, perhaps. Yeah, look, and I think it's been that march to the institutions from a very hard left perspective that when I did a, a sort of a postmodern arts degree in the 80s, these ideas were uh, not fully fledged in the public square. But they get there, and that's the way it works, that the people who are the influencers today were the people going through the universities in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And part of that is that the, and part of the, the narrative is that the Christian West is the problem in the world. And we, the sooner we can divest ourselves of those, um, those power structures, which are, even in their claim to truth, are hiding power, that's the claim, uh, the better. So that has infused its way through the education system, the secular one, through the legal system and into government. Now, politics is downstream of culture, but it's followed suit. And that's why the legislation is coming up. And politicians are fearful of being the, you know, individual politicians, of being the, the politician that supports a school in their constituency that suddenly gets on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald for being homophobic and transphobic or whatever it is. And so what you're finding is that it's incrementally pushing uh, schools in the areas of uh, discrimination on legislation, but also on the issue of safety. It, it, now, Australia is big on safety, okay? If the last few years have told you anything, we're the safe nation, right? And if you can play the safe card that the Christian perspective is unsafe, that to ask someone to think about a perspective of their sexuality that may counter what they believe about themselves, that's unsafe because we're a psychologically um, driven people, uh, you will kill a school off by the death by a thousand cuts. And once you can break the, um, the ethical framework of what the school's about and say a teacher doesn't have to believe those things, they just have to teach them, you're done. The great irony is that you're not going to go to a public school in Australia and get an even-handed approach to what Christian marriage is about. But the Australian Law Reform Commission is saying that you have to teach different perspectives in Christian schools about what marriage is about. Do we say to them, yes, we'll do that, but we'll say they're wrong? No, they won't put up with that. They, they, they do not like the Christian framework on sexuality. It's also interesting in understanding how religion is actually passed from one generation to another. So it looks like in the Law Reform Commission inquiry, they've talked about being able to require religious faith from those teaching religious studies. So if your job directly calls you to be able to teach the Christian religion, well, then it's fair for an employer to be able to call you to be a Christian. However, that's not necessarily uh, mandated 
in other areas of the school life. As best you understand it, is that what the report is saying? Well, I thought it was, but it pushes it further. It does say that um, the sexuality and gender issues should have no bearing, what a person believes or even acts, on even the religious education side of things, that they could actually live how they wish, but as long as they promote the religious framework in the religious education studies of the school. Now, I don't think that recommendation will get up. I think there'll be enough pushback against that. I think it'll have to be that uh, you can have your religious education staff as Christians. And that may be all Christian schools get in the end. Uh, it, it feels like this is a, you know, it, it won't change until it does. The, the key issue for me is that once you break that, once you say this is no longer an alternative ethical community, um, Christian schools have to ask which direction they're going in. Because if they just keep watering everything down, they'll become the moralistic therapeutic deism of, of uh, Christian Smith who talks about that issue. Uh, there's got to be a, a solid centre at any Christian school. And look, Christian schools in Australia range from church schools which have open employment through to closed employment, open enrolment through to closed enrolment, and everywhere in between. So they're all going to have to navigate it slightly differently. But unless they can maintain something distinctive about themselves, then the, the gospel of the secular age is just going to keep chipping away. The problem is, of course, the Christian schools are so big and the networks are so important and they're they're run so, you know, they're run well and they are increasing their enrolments all of the time that to say to a Christian school, well, stand on this one or, or shut, uh, Christian schools aren't, they're just not going to do, do that. It's, that is not going to be what they're going to do. And there's not going to be a case like in um, when the, the Catholic Archbishop decades ago brought all the students down to the, when there was a threat to funding for Catholic schools, brought all the students down to the public school and said, will you educate them? I don't think we can play that card today because I don't think that we are have the same cultural weight to us. Uh, the education system might just say, well, like it or lump it. And I think that's where it's heading. And it's interesting because you've got a whole lot of people, as you've talked about, coming to Christian schools over the last four or five years. Uh, so Christian schools have gone to the moon. They have really grown. However, people who are coming to these Christian schools, A, are often not Christian, um, but they are socially conservative in some ways. But a lot of that social conservatism at times, it doesn't actually impact views of sexuality and gender. So you actually can find yourself in a state as a school where a lot of your key stakeholders aren't for you in this regard. They actually think you really need to get up with the times. Like, sure, I want my child to learn good values, but I think we all know what good values are around sex and gender. And it's not that old stuff from a couple of thousand year old book. So Christian schools in some ways can find that they're actually pushing uphill now in areas where they didn't think they would have to because of, um, in some ways, their successes, because of the growth that they've had. Yeah, look, they assumed that the client would come and say, this is great, I like this, and part of it is integral is your view of sexuality. But that's not what's happened. To be a good, valued person in our culture at the moment is to be open to other people's uh, lifestyles. And the client will always set the agenda once you get to a certain tipping point. Now, if you had a school with 60% Christian framework kids and 40% not, uh, that's gonna be different. But even then, Christian students maybe 
don't hold the same perspectives as those who are running the schools do on these issues. But you will always respond to the consumer. And the consumer at the moment says, I want a safe place for my kids to go where they can get a good a university entrance result, uh, where the bullies will get expelled, which often happens, <laughs> unlike in public settings, where the pastoral care is good. Uh, but if my child decides that they're trans or that my child decides that they have a different sexuality, I don't want the school knocking them for that. And even if your child doesn't, um, the average default perspective in most people who are not from a Christian framework in Australia is that live and let live when it comes to sexuality. If the school could just drop that issue, we'd be fine. And I think the biggest pressure will be on schools to say, to hold the line on that. And they're going to have to explain to their clientele who don't agree with them why they're holding that line. And yeah, will they hold that line? It remains to be seen. And if they can't hold that line, then what you're going to get is Christian parents withdrawing their kids from Christian schools. Christian schools will end up being for non-Christian parents and their children who want a safe place, but Christians are going to send their kids to homeschooling systems or micro schools that have a much bigger distance between government intervention and themselves. That's absolutely right. I think this is a critical moment for Christian schools right now because we don't necessarily have the, the hounds breathing down our neck at this stage. We've still got a bit of leeway. But Christian schools and principals and teachers, they don't want to end up on the front page of the Mercury or whatever the local rag is at their neck of the woods. You, you don't want that kind of PR for your school. We saw it happen uh, not so long back with City Point. And it is just not the sort of thing you want your school community to be dragged through. So what can often end up happening, as best I can tell, is the school will hold a historic Christian view of sex and gender. However, that will be cloistered off in some policy somewhere. We basically say, let's, let's not rock the boat. We all understand, yes, we hold a traditional opinion on this, but we really can't afford the sort of PR disaster that other schools have. So we're not going to talk about it. We're just not going to talk about it. Uh, and Tony Abbott, um, for all his foibles, he had an absolute moment of clarity when he said, a silent majority that stays silent will not long be a majority. So you've got these schools who feel like in some ways they've got the news media ready to catch him out at any time. They hold a historic Christian position, although it's cloistered away in this policy document, in, you know, in this sort of arterial um, network, these catacombs of uh, the head office folders. And what ends up happening is, you're not selling anyone on your vision of the good life. You're, main, you're maintaining silence when actually the culture around you is preaching about as loud and as hard as they can on these sorts of issues. And that's not how any persuasion gets done, is it? That's exactly right. That's what I was just thinking as you were saying it, is that um, the one topic that everyone is being spoken about from every perspective in the world which is being a totalizing topic about what a vision of the good life looks like, your identity and your sexuality and your gender, etc. And you're not gonna speak about it. That would seem like a, a, a bad strategy for promoting your vision of the good life. So what you'll end up with is this bifurcation where students go there and they say, this is the Christian stuff, but this is the 
real stuff of what I'm going through at the moment with all my hormones at the very time in life when these things are actually at the fore. And the problem, of course, is that the ABC gets winds of it. Um, and there's never a, here's the other side of the story, ever. It, that's not coming. So at the very time that all of the colorful narratives are coming against you, you're going silent on it. You're self-selecting that. And Tony Abbott is right on that point, that you won't be, be the majority. In fact, I don't think we are already. And I think that happened quickly. And Christian schools are now, uh, if they're naive, they're thinking, oh, these Australian Law Reform Commission report uh, recommendations won't come through. But they will, and then they haven't been ready to, to do anything when it does come. So what they will do is they'll react, they won't respond. And so what you'll get is this death by a thousand cuts over the next 20 years. And look, the, as a friend of mine said, look, the government and those against Christian schools, and the government's not against Christian schools, um, it just wants them to go a certain way. Um, those who are opposed to Christian schools don't want them shut down. They just want to co-opt them. You do all the hard work, you spend all the money, you do all the buildings, you get all the kids here, you get all the teaching staff, you get all the pastoral care in place, we'll fill it with our values. You do the hard work, which is exactly what Christian schools flourished for in the, in the beginning because government couldn't afford to pay for the education of everyone and it was a good opportunity for Christian schools who had a vision of what human life could look like uh, to fill that gap and they did it very, very well. And now they're coming back and saying, actually, we'll take that. It's like, you know, the, the, um, the little hen who finds the wheat. Who will help me plant the wheat? No one. You know, no one else will. Who will help me uh, weed the, the patch? No one will do that. Who will help me water the wheat? No one will do that. Who will help me mill it? No one will. Who will help me eat the bread? Oh, yeah, I'm up for that. <laughs> That's where we're at. <laughs> it's interesting in your article, and of course, that'll be linked in the show notes. You've said that although this represents a really critical moment for those invested in Christian education, it's actually the Christian school teachers who don't quite get the magnitude of what's going on. They just don't understand the moment we're in. Uh, there's, there's a pastor and an educator, a bloke called Douglas Wilson out of the United States, and, and he's sort of satirically um, postulated the four key battle mantras of the sort of soft evangelicalism. This, there, there, it's a four-step plan. He said the first one is um, there's not going to be a fight on this thing. The second thing is the second stance, there may be a fight. The third stance it's too early to fight. The fourth stance is it's now too late to fight. You know, it, it just completely washes over you. You, you. you get caught and the change is made before you can do anything about it. Let's press pause on this discussion for a moment. Over the last year or so, some of you have been asking how you can support the Christian Education Podcast. Well, let me give you three ways, all starting with S. The first S is simply to subscribe so that's just a setting on your podcast app, actually. And if you do that, that helps me probably more than you think. The second S is to share. So if you really love one of these episodes, why not push it through your social media? You can even send it to an educator directly if you think they'd benefit from it. And the third S is to get in touch. Now, I know that's not an S, but let's not get bogged down in the details here. If there's someone who you think would make a great contribution to this podcast, why not send me their name? Hey, you can even dob in yourself. That's just fine by me. So if you're able to do those three S's to subscribe, share, and get in touch, 
Well, that will help me do the very same thing that we're all trying to do here, to see God's kingdom grow through Christian education. Having said that, let's get back to the discussion. Now, it looks like, by God's grace, we can still do something about it. All right, The, the recommendations... Um, have not been made into law. There's still plenty of avenues for Christians to act faithfully to seek God's kingdom, to bring God's kingdom uh, on earth as it is in heaven, to, to seek God's will for Christian schools. There's still a bunch of pathways open to us. If you had the average Christian teachers, in fact, let's say you've got a whole room full of them, what are you instructing them to do? What are you telling them to do at this particular moment in time? couple of things, and maybe this is counterintuitive. Sort your own life out. Uh, we don't want a Christian schools full of <laughs> Christian teachers who might be just living like the world anyway. Uh, secondly, have a theological conviction about it. Because I, I recognise that a lot of Christian teachers do see themselves on the front line of mission. So they're pastorally caring for kids who are coming who are from all sorts of backgrounds. But the, the compassion they have doesn't mean that they have to be uh, unclear about what they actually believe is true and right and good for that child. So I think that's a key issue. You have a theological conviction about it, which would mean that you'd want to make sure that you're in a church where there is good theological conviction about everything, not just sexuality, but about what a positive vision of Christian life is like and what a positive Christian community looks like. And the other thing would be uh, teachers need to just stand up and say, as a school, when we get a punch in the mouth <laughs> from the media, we're just going to stand firm. We're not going to go rushing around like headless chickens telling our principal or our board, we've got to change our ideas. Just saying, no, there are 3,000 students in this network and this is what we believe and we've always believed it. And the great irony is that for many of our gender diverse children, this is the safest school they could be in because we don't tolerate bullying of people with different ideas, which is why we're standing firm on this because we won't be bullied into different ideas. And I don't think, my, my key issue is I don't think there's a common enough view across Christian school networks to be able to band together, or a common enough, um, I guess, uh, battle, <laughs> battle plan for why they're gonna, I, I don't think we've got together enough to figure this out because we think that somehow it might just go away or we watch as the lone gazelle gets taken off by the lion somewhere else and we huddle together and say, we'll keep quiet about it. Now, the Commission has not their recommendations, and I think there, there can be some pushback, and there's some good people in legal situations and political situations who can push back against it. Um, so it's not a fait accompli, and we trust in the sovereignty of God as well. Uh, we teach that as well <laughs> in our schools, uh, that God is in control of this situation. So I think we can pray, and we can then do what it says in Nehemiah, pray and arm yourself with the right sword <laughs> if you're gonna watch on the wall. It's a really important thing to remember, the sovereignty of God, isn't it? It can be really easy for there to be an unhealthy faithlessness amongst Christian staff where they, they have their own personal convictions, but they just say, look, it's a done deal, man. Cultural tide has turned. You don't understand. They've got this lobby for them or that government body or that sort of thing. Um, though, the, all those people are against us. And it is worth remembering here, and this is where our Christian theology has to have legs, um, we actually have Christ on the throne, and he is for us. Um, and so this thing could break either way for Christian schools. It could be really bad, it could be not so bad. But whatever happens, it's worth remembering, it didn't happen that way because we were outgunned. 
It, it didn't happen that way because we don't have the horsepower behind us. We actually have Christ on the throne. It says in Matthew 28 that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And if, if we lose the vision of the big Christ who sits on the throne, we can just, we can just uh, give away the store. We can sell the farm in this pessimism, which is not what we learned in Christ. No, that's right. And look, uh, Tim Keller wrote a great article in The Atlantic the other day about the state of the church in America. But he's positive about it in this sense that he said there was no monasticism system throughout the, you know, the empire, the late empire, until there was. There was no reformation until there was. <laughs> because that's how there was no resurrection, was there, until there was. And that's what we've got to remember, that that's how God works. So we are in a cultural moment. Now, the other thing I want to say is that the winds of change are pushing against some of the uh, assumptions of the sexual revolution as well. The whole Tavistock fiasco in the UK where the gender centre over there is shut down has just started to explode, where a drive to push people into a, a narrative of uh, gender ideology has resulted in lots of damage. So. Parents who want their children safe might want to read those stories as well and realise that the Christian framework is much more, is a much safer place to be than some of the ideologies that would sacrifice your kids on the altar of the sexual revolution. And as we close now, Steve, I think it's worth pointing out that Christians can suffer from low self-esteem. We can start reading the press um, and we can go, oh, crumbs, yeah, I guess in some ways... Uh, this Christian school might not be the best for someone who's questioning their gender identity or their sexuality. Um, it's worth zooming out at a 30,000-foot level and saying most of the schools, every school I've ever been to, every principal I've ever talked to, for them, it's not about expelling the gay kid. They're not, they're not saying, oh, okay, you're gay, uh, keep warm and well-fed, just hand your blazer in at the door, and um, we expect not to see you back. Actually, every single educator I have talked to at a Christian school um, has the same opinion, and that's that Christian schools have big front doors. They're always open. Everyone is welcome, whether you're whether you're Muslim, whether you're Baha'i, whether you're Christian, Mormon, atheist, no matter what your sexuality, you are welcome here, um, and we will love you here. We'll spend our calories loving you diligently. Now, of course, we're going to love you according to our own beliefs. Um, it's not about expelling those sorts of children. It's actually about just holding a historic Christian line. And of course, that's where, uh, that's where I think as Christians, we need to up our own self-esteem. This, as you said earlier, this Christian school is the best place for someone to work out those issues. Now, the same historic Christian faith that guides, uh, that calls us to love uh, and embrace that child will also speak to how we think they best move through the suffering and confusion that they're going through. Of course it will. But we must remember that, um, we need the sort of protections we need, um, not just so we can keep the lights on, but so we can actually love students as best as we are able. So we can love students um, with love that's effective. Yes, and that's, that's critical, isn't it? That we have to have a confidence that the vision of the good life that we're pitching isn't just some one option among many. It's the most loving way to respond to students. But we also have to say that because we are convinced of that, um, that vision and because we have a resurrected Jesus um, we're not brittle and uh, we can open the doors to lots of different people the great irony of the law reform commission's perspective is that it, it is anti-diversity 
it cannot cope with diversity. And we can. We, we, we can step into diversity and be totally chill about it because we, we have a confidence that the Jesus is on the throne. So we don't need to get super heated angry or super heated despairing about these things. Now, there are challenges coming, but if you can stare down the initial punch in the face, as I call it, uh, there's, uh, and you've got a very clear understanding of why you're holding the line you are, then I think the courts are still in the place that they'll take those things seriously. I don't think uh, activism is going to push everything on the legal system. I think there'll be some pushback. Mike Tyson famously said that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Uh, and, and my hope and prayer for Christian schools is that we can, we can take that punch, as you've said, and we'll, we just keep marching. Of course, we would not be the first Christians in history to take a punch or to take many blows for the name of Christ. I hope this is a chance for us to step up and to, uh, to faithfully model a Christ-like position and not to disintegrate uh, and, and, and lose the very distinctives that make Christian schools so glorifying to God. Stephen, uh, I'm aware that that's, that's all the time we got at the moment. I'm really thankful for your time and your energy that you've invested into this uh, subject. I hope you keep writing and I hope we're able to keep reading uh, your commentary on these sorts of matters. Um, I pray God's richest blessings for you over the course of this coming year. Uh, thanks, Paul. And it's worth pointing out that uh, Mike Tyson said those words in the context of losing a fight to Evander Holofield, who did get a punch in the mouth, but was sure-footed enough to change his uh, a strategy and still win the bout. <laughs> well, here's hoping we can be the Evander Holyfield of the education system. Thanks, Paul.